Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. I'm Michelle. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, sisters. How y'all doing? Hello. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> it was a dull well. Wow. That's a weary well. That's a weary well. Lord, it's a day. It's a day. No. It's a day. I know. What's it's going on lot. with y'all? It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, you know, fall is like not playing games. I was like, oh, we, <laughs> summer's really over. Oh, okay. Okay. And so I, uh, confession time. So I started uh, switching out my closet on Sunday and I literally still have a pile of fall clothes in my living room. No yeah. shame. Yeah. And I plan on getting those clothes up today. <laughs> so hold me accountable. I hate season <laughs> changes. I really love summer. So I'm really sad to see it go. So I'm sad. Goals. <laughs> what about you, C? Yeah, so mm, I guess look, the highlight of my week was uh, I cleaned my kitchen floor, which yes. was which is always you know that all the all that chemically smell. Um, <laughs> I guess I guess I shouldn't like that so much. <laughs> I was like, the floor is clean, hallelujah. My mother in law is coming back from a trip down south, and so yeah, I don't want her to fully know just how how much things fall apart when she's not in the house. <laughs> ah, the truth is coming out, right. huh? So my husband and I are like let's, let's 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 try to get it together real quick. So we're we're working to get it together before <laughs> before her flight arrives this evening. We're like, okay, let's get it together. Hopefully the kids won't tell all That's all our business. But, uh, we, I'm gonna call Lovey and snitch on you. I know. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. She won't she won't shame us too much. That's what that's what's happening in my world. Nice, nice. Well, you know what? Y'all know that, well, y'all know, but our listeners don't know. This might be news to them, but our first season is coming to a close. So, um, right. So we started out, you know, our our listeners who've been following us from the very beginning, when we started in March, we started out with uh, with the Resistance series. And so we thought, you know, we should end with another series. And so we decided to uh, to do a series about multi-ethnic churches. So the title of this series is um, Multi-Ethnic Churches, A Foretaste of Heaven or Bulwarks of White Supremacy. Mm. So that's the question that's, <laughs> they, you know, that underlies this, this series here. And yeah, we just want to talk about uh, multi-ethnic churches, what constitutes it and um, our own experiences in them and and just, yeah, have a conversation about that. So, uh, so yeah, I guess what I'm, I'm really wanting to understand is like everybody throws out the phrase multi-ethnic churches, multicultural churches, multiracial churches, um, <laughs> and it just gets really ambiguous and confusing. I find it to be confusing because so it's like what constitutes a multi-ethnic church? What makes a multi-ethnic church an actual multi-ethnic church? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> there are a variety of opinions on that, right? As you can imagine. Mm-hmm. So I guess it depends on who's speaking and who has um, social influence in order to have a definition that sticks, right? So, right. Um, but um, for, for the folks who, I guess, do research or write on this topic or study it, Usually when we're talking about a, a church that is considered multi-ethnic or multicultural, usually it's a representation of hmm, that w- in which one group, one ethnic group, so let's say, for example, Anglo-Americans, is less than 80% of the church makeup. 
Um, mm-hmm. Or um, so, and that could be you know, it could be a church where um, less than eighty percent are are African American, and the other you know twenty to thirty or so percent represent different racial ethnic backgrounds. Um, okay. There's also a consideration for leadership structure, so the race and ethnicity of of the lead clergy folks, and so. Okay. So let's say you have a church that's that could be pr- predominantly Anglo in the states, but it has, um, you know, a, a pastor who is Korean American. Um, so, and in that sense, when researchers are studying this p- particular topic, that might be a church that still would be included um, in the in the conversation as it relates to multicultural, multiracial churches. Mm, okay, that's helpful. So it sounds like kind of like an eighty twenty rule. That, that that's what I commonly hear in the literature. Mm-hmm. This kind of eighty twenty rule, um, and then of course there's some there's some nuances about just the use of the language in general, right? So, cross cultural versus multicultural versus transcultural versus intercultural, <laughs> right? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. multi ethnic versus multiracial versus multinational. I mean, there's 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 lots of terminology to go around um, to to really try to get us to to really describe. Uh, the phenomenon, particularly that we see in in the states, in the United States, um, overseas, you're more likely to see a church that might actually truly be like multinational, like a church that has like ex- okay. expats. Yeah. Um, but in the states, usually what we're thinking about is a church that has white folks and black folks and Asian folks, and you know, like that's that's what we're we're trying to trying to see kind of a a, a full spectrum of of diverse ethnic people in a local congregation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now, um, that's, that's helpful. So, uh, are you all, would you say that you are in, based on that, um, criteria, would you say that you are in a multi-ethnic church? You're a part of a multi-ethnic church? Hmm. I guess so. What you in, Michelle? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. So, um, you're a, my you're a church expert, Emma. I was like, I need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> So um, my dad is the pastor at my church, and I mean, obviously, he he are a black man, as they say. Um, mm-hmm. And even though our church, you know, I would constitute it about ninety seven percent white folks. Um, okay. We definitely have a certain type of worship style. Um, I'm the worship director there, and we do have a more intentionally. Um, ethnically inclusive worship style. And so, yeah, I mean, that that would definitely constitute as a multi-ethnic church. It is funny, though. I mean, we're very Presbyterian, so the white-centeredness is, is still quite real. Um, but, you know, you can't turn the Titanic in an hour and a half. So I know that's right. We're doing what we can. <laughs> I know that's right. Not in 90 minutes. That's right. <laughs> Although we certainly try. <laughs> Y'all do. Y'all do. You do a good job of it, too. I'm like, hey, holla. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed worshiping um, at your church, Michelle, this past yeah, weekend. So, well, yeah, was it this past or two weekends ago? Wait, whatever it was. Two yeah, I guess it was ago. two weekends ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always enjoy it there. How about you? What about you, See, Would you say that you're in a, a multi-ethnic church? I would, yeah, I would say in terms of what, yeah, what we know by the the research, the people who study this topic, for sure. Um, my spouse is the uh, lead teaching pastor, lead teaching elder. He's African-American. The um, The congregation is probably at about 80-20. 
I would say. Now, we have people who visit, and then we have people who are actually, like, core members. Because, you know, different churches have different, you know, kind of ecclesiology around membership. But when I think about, like, the people who are, like, have been received by the church, like, received by the elders, um, it's probably at that 80-20. That maybe leaning into, like, 70-30. Um, but, um, yeah, we need to go back and assess those numbers periodically, um, which can be a fascinating thing to do in a local congregation because uh, different people have different levels of ethnic consciousness and just, <laughs> right? And so for some people, the idea of, hey, uh, we need to figure, like, what is your racial and ethnic background? Because we need this, be taking, we're, this is important to our community to, to know who is here and the work mm, that we're doing. Mm-hmm. That in of itself, the measuring of the diversity of a church can trigger a particular response from people. Mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Is it um, is it from like racially speaking? Meaning, like, is a particular group that's like put off uh, that's put on guard when that happens? Or yeah, I mean, I, I would say primarily it would it, it's white folks who would most likely white males most likely to say like, well, why does this matter? Or people who don't see themselves racially, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. which I think, which in theory should be less likely. In theory, less likely right. in a multi-ethnic church, you would have people that are like, I don't even see my race. Like, what do you mean? I'm just, you know, I don't have a culture. <laughs> but that can that certainly still happens, right? That's a pretty normative, I think, response of dominant culture um, in America. But you can also have people of color, too, who can say there's too much of a fixation on, on race or on ethnic mm-hmm. identity. And uh, they... As somebody who, like, studies intercultural development, I would say they might function in a place of minimization where they're like, let's just not emphasize what's different. Let's focus on what's the same. Um, Mm -hmm. And so minimization for people of color oftentimes is a coping mechanism in order to navigate a space. So you often will hear that kind of language from maybe white folks, but certainly there are people of color, too, who will pull into a place of minimization and want to de-emphasize attention to racial and ethnic differences. Got it. Got it. Okay, that's helpful. So I would, um, for my part, um, I would say, I guess technically, uh, my church is multi-ethnic, but it's, it, it doesn't feel that way. Like it's, it's very black. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's a predominantly black church. Uh, and, um, I go there, I went there intentionally because of the seminary that I was at as well. Um, uh, because my, my seminary was, was so white and it was such a, oppressive environment for me. I needed to have a reprieve and a refuge mm-hmm. in some regard. And my church was um, able to provide that, provide the community that I needed um, and to, you know, to be able to hold, hold me down uh, during that time. And so, and, and I'm still at my church currently. Um, but I think technically it does actually meet that, mm-hmm. um, that criteria, even though it doesn't, uh, it, it, it doesn't, um, feel that way necessarily if that makes sense mm-hmm. so uh sure. so yeah so that's that's what i would say how would how would y'all say you ended up in uh multi-ethnic churches how did that come to be mm. well so i've been a part of a lot of different kinds of churches <laughs> so um right so um <laughs> just in terms of diversity of types of people and theological influences and traditions, which I, which I think is a real blessing. I think it's part of the reason why I'm kind of like, um, I, I'm really not a big fan of theological snootiness because, um, mm-hmm. there are people who sincerely love the Lord and, um, 
in a variety of different <laughs> traditions. And so, uh, so I'm thankful for that. Uh, one of the first churches that I went to that was, um, I guess we would consider um, multinational was in when I lived in New York, right, while I was in graduate school. And my husband and I were the only Americans at this church. So while most of the people at the church were of African descent, they were mm. overwhelmingly um, African or um, Caribbean. And so okay. that is probably the, one of the first experiences in my life where I felt incredibly American. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never, I, Africans and Caribbeans can make you feel very American. Okay, I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm American. <laughs> I can feel it in here. And so, so yeah, that was, yeah, that was like, you know, several, several years back, you know, 15, 16 years ago. But, um, but it was a great experience and learned a lot about authentic uh, community and um, the depths of of Christian hospitality. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and a lot about just the relationship between Africans and African Americans and perceptions, right? And so gender dynamic, you know, the things that were valued in those spaces necessarily compared to things that were valued in other spaces. And when we went there, my husband and I didn't have children. And I remember, (laughs) I remember the pastor wanting to like, you know, give us a blessing, him and his daughter and his wife. And their blessing was like, may the Lord give you triplets. May the Lord give you (laughs) triplets. And and I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, we do love children. We would prefer they come one at a time, but okay. But anyway, so that, that was my first snapshot actually with a a multi, multi ethnic, multinational church congregation. And where I am now is it's, it's predominantly white, so it's very different um, yeah. than that particular experience. And I would say that I was I would put a lot of this on my husband because I <laughs> people who know me well they would know that I am very comfortable sitting sitting in a pew in a predominantly African American uh, right. c- kind of Baptistical Calvinistic. Uh, <laughs> space, you know, with like Negro spirituals, like that is that feels like home to me. So um, that's I would probably pick places like that. That's what I would. That's what I lean into. What I naturally default into. How about you, Michelle? How did you How did you get to where you are? Well, that is that is a long story. <laughs> like how How do you summarize the tensions, the turmoil, and the dissonance of discovering mm. yourself? in a strange land where you feel you can't sing except at the behest of Mm. people that, you know, might prefer entertainment over fellowship. Oh, well, Um, it's a fascinating, I mean, for us, it's been a fascinating journey. It's one of calling for sure. I don't Mm. believe that um, multi-ethnicity is as bankrupt as some might say, but I believe the cultural expressions of assimilation have so deeply corrupted the multi-ethnic, um, the potential for multi-ethnic unity and solidarity, that we have a lot more work to do than simply showing up in the same space. So uh, sometimes even my work as a worship director feels, hmm. um, it it feels performative. Hmm. And, hmm. you know, we tie, you know, just drop the R out of the word. So to really yeah. give us some emphasis, we tie. And uh, in a lot of situations, you find people who are 
coerced or mm. sometimes faithfully convinced by mm. a mentor or a friend, you should enter this space because we need you. We need you. And mm-hmm. you discover that in doing the Lord's work, there is a dependence upon you to affirm the politeness of white folks who don't want to be challenged. They simply want a photo op. And so coming into this, there was some, I mean, I I think there was some hypnosis and (laughs) I don't think black people who go into Mm multi-ethnic congregations uh, should, should go into them blindly. I I do feel like we need to call out and describe what it's like to be an impoverished black seminary student in need of a job who feels that the little white church, even though it has 50 members, can pay him 50 grand. Wow. Um, Mm. So I think we need to be honest about that. Mm. But we also need to be honest about the potential self-righteousness of being in a multi-ethnic church. Mm. And and I believe that the mentors who surround us, the three of us, and then also our families and friends, I believe that our mentors are really upfront about saying, if you feel called to this work, which is a work in progress. Yeah. We're not mm-hmm. to the point of non-fabricated peace. Yeah. We are often just plugging along to make sure that folks don't send an evil letter. So if you are in the work of serving, of really wearing this work as skin mm. and not your hat, then it's really helpful to hear some of the stories of the people that have been in it a little bit longer. So mm-hmm. that was my preamble. In a minute and a half, I'll tell you what had happened. Uh, <laughs> my family came into the Presbyterian Church of America 18 years ago, I think. Okay. So I was like, you know, a little middle schooler acting crazy. Mm. And <laughs> uh, it, happened to, <laughs> it happened to us through Covenant Seminary. And it sort of just crashed upon us. Multi-ethnicity was something mm-hmm. that we didn't know we had to talk about uh, because when we went to worship, we were in a space where we never had to say exactly yeah. what scripture or gospel song came from in order yeah. for people to receive it as worship. Right. We yeah. didn't have to prove ourselves of uh, being mm-hmm. worthy to sit beside other folks. In fact, mm-hmm. when African-Americans are in more of a position of authority and platform in their churches, often people in the majority culture come in and they experience the peace and the welcoming uh, more so than showing up and having to explain yourself before you get to be yourself. For sure. And so when we went into the PCA, we had this sort of presumption that there would be a, oh, wow, we've been um, hoping that someone would take a chance on predominantly white churches. And and that's not what happened. We sat in a pastor's office who had life-size paintings of Stonewall Jackson and General Lee Mm. on his Mm. church office wall. And that was the decor (sighs) for him. And we sat there and we talked about holiness, godliness, and the future of ethnic unity that we need not strive too hard for in the present day because we know the Lord's going to bring it. So (laughs) why attempt it now? And I remember sitting there. So, oh, no, I, oh, good Lord, I, I forget how old I am. I guess I was 17. I wasn't even in middle school, y'all. Lord Jesus. Um, <laughs> I forget, I forget my age, too, Michelle. That's fine. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's the only way to survive. I remember sitting there looking at my dad going, what are you doing? 
doing? Mm. And I've never seen that. I've never seen that kind of humility. I've never seen it in my life. Mm. I've never mm. seen the kind of humility that took my that took control of my dad. And you know it had to have taken control of my mom because she's a tiger defender of her family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it took over them and it hasn't let go. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, this may not be the place where we die, but I'm telling you right now, it's the place that I'm not going to let kill me. Mm. And so oh, ever since then, we have, have striven and we have been determined to fight against the idea that we can be comfortable in our own silos, especially in the worship space, because we have this sort of faux reformed expectation that God's going to fix it all. This is the problem with civic engagement as well. Mm. So that's kind of what brought us into multi-ethnic churches. It really was only a desire to serve the Lord and a naive presumption that Mm. at one point in time, non-white people were desired as equals in mostly white churches. Mm. 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 And it's a rude awakening when you realize Mm -hmm. that, wait a minute, I'm not welcome here. And you don't see me as a full um, 100% -hmm. human being like you. Mm -hmm. It's alarming and very shocking um, to realize that, which I've experienced in various different settings, for goodness sakes. But um, what would y'all say is like one, one warning or... It, it, should it be a warning that we want to give people or caution or somebody who's maybe thinking about entering multi-ethnic churches or encouragement? Is it, I mean, cause it, there's a, there's a sense that obviously we have to, um, that it's a call. And usually when God calls us to something, it's usually not, um, a picnic, you know, in the park, it's usually something that's, um, going to require our complete dependence upon him so any thoughts on um what that looks like for somebody that might be thinking about maybe entering um multi-ethnic churches or maybe feels a call to do that like what what's a I guess what's a I don't know if it's a do you feel led to give a warning or an encouragement I guess is maybe what what I'm trying to get out oh, here oh, a warning and an encouragement from, from you Christina <laughs> yes from, yes what do you what are your your I mean because and, and Michelle's already kind of given us you know a little For bit sure. of that hey this is For what sure. this was what our experience has been and was um, but yeah, from your own perspective, Christina, what would you say? <laughs> so we can, it, it's hard for us to see our identity unless it's engaged cross-culturally, right? So if we are in mm-hmm. um, kind of a homogenous bubble, right? We don't right. see it as clearly. So I don't, I feel my, my, my womanness the most when I'm in meetings with all men. Or when I'm in spaces mm-hmm. yeah. that that their default is the assumption that men simply are more strategic or wiser or or I mean like just I can feel like I, I can feel that more so that so our, our we have kind of a tap on the shoulder and likewise racially and ethnically when you're in spaces where you're not in the dominant group you will get a stronger sure. tap on the shoulder. With that being said, I think that people have to have to do their work like they have to do their own self identity work. And um, examining their own prejudice against, against different groups of people, their own internalized prejudices and racism specifically, um, I, I would um, 
Hmm. I, I would encourage people to, to develop a robust doctrine of sin. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and yep. to have a really good understanding of what that means for them personally, mm-hmm. what that means mm-hmm. for systems and the cosmos. I just think that there is a, a lot of um, naiveness um, about the depths of our own sin, but the but the depths of sin within our our world and our communities. And with that being said, it doesn't mean I'm like not. I'm a pessimistic person. I think I think part of the reason why I have some degree of some degree of what looks like optimism some days is is because I try to hold to a robust doctrine of sin and it it helps to impact my expectations and it also helps for me to understand the prognosis of what needs to happen in these spaces. Like this sin has right. to be uprooted. It has to be called out and it doesn't get called out in a, you know, in a gentle way in which it gets coaxed along, but no, it it needs to be repented of, right? So, right. So I think that helps me to go in, to be in those spaces at times to have that particular framework. So I think that people who are considering um, being part of multi-ethnic uh, communities, uh, worship communities, are going to have to think about that long and hard. Um, they're also going to think about, you know, their why. Like, why, <laughs> why would you want to go into this space? And they need to have yeah. uh, a sense that um, there will be sacrifice. Right. And this is different for both groups. Right. If you're talking about the minority folks that go into the spaces and the majority folks that are in the spaces. So we live in a society that that caters to majority population, identity, values, standards, behaviors. Um, and it, and that's what's considered normative. And oftentimes in multi-ethnic churches in the United States, they still continue to cater to whiteness. They still continue to be white. And I would not just say white. I would say white male centered. Um, mm-hmm. So things still get pulled into the time, the music volume, the content of the songs, the duration of the sermon, (laughs) the layout in the program. So all of those things get, all those things speak to to cultural orientation, whether people want to admit it or not. And I would say that a truly multi-ethnic church in the United States would be aware of that. And they would be asking, why is that? And they would be willing to dismantle it because we're called to put others before ourselves, right? So, and I would say for people of people of color who come into those spaces, um, they they would need to know that um, just like when you're outside of this space, you have, you have decided to once again, uh, just like with the rest of the world, you're now in a space that centers whiteness. Do you want to do this on Sunday morning again? Um, yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean? So. Yeah. Um, so there are, those are some of the thoughts that that come to mind for me. That's good. That's good. I think um, as you were uh, talking, I was just thinking. Um, you mentioned how you know you feel m- most womanly when you're in the room. You feel your womanness. I should <laughs> say um, your womanness um, when you're in a room full of um, men, right? And so, um, it, which reminds me of. Um, uh, 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 Zora Neale Hurston, you know, she taught us and, uh, what she, what her words, when she said, you know, I feel most colored when I'm thrown against a sharp white background. Sure. And, um, and I, th- I think for, uh, I'm gonna say black folks, cause people say people of color when they mean, I'm talking about black folks. Cause I'm gonna just speak as a black yeah. woman. Um, guess what you want. <laughs> That's what I am. That's what I am. Um, uh, but if it applies for black folks, it'll apply for everybody else. Cause we get it the worst. Um, I would say you need to have a robust theological anthropology. You must. Mm-hmm. Like you need to know 
that you know that you know that you are in the image of God and you need to know uh, that your black skin, that your kinky hair, mm. that your nose, that your uh, hips, that your butt, that all of that is good in the Lord's sight. You have to know that. You have got to know that before you go into those spaces, um, because all of those those very things that God say, says are, are good about you are the very things that will be attacked and assailed. And you need to be prepared and you need to go in with wide, eyes wide open mm. um, for that. And that and that's just the the. the the truth, you know? Um, mm. and so I think that's something that I, that's a caution that I would, uh, throw out, uh, to people who are in, it doesn't have to just be churches, right? It could be, you know, that's just, just any white centered space. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but particularly, you know, it ought not be that way in the household, um, of faith, but, uh, because of the very nature and the prevalence and, um, insidious nature of sin, that is, um, uh, sadly, it, it tends to be more so the case than not. And so that, that would be definitely would be, um, my encouragement. And, and along the same lines, I would echo, um, what you said, you, you need to know that, you know, that, you know, that God called you, um, yeah. to that, yeah. to that space. Um, I, I, I don't, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't, I don't believe that God's called me to like, Oh, you must be in a multi-ethnic church and labor. That's just, I don't feel like that's, the calling that I'm, that's why I'm in the church that I'm, I'm at, you know? Um, um, and just God bless the black church, man. I mean, the black church really is a refuge and a respite. Um, you know, when you're working, you know, Monday through Friday, you know, and you're, you're the only person of color on your job or you're one of two or one of three and you need that mm -hmm. time, you know, that, 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 that sanctuary, quite literally that sanctuary where you can breathe and not have to have, wonder if the person next to you believes that you are also an image of God, just like he or she mm -hmm. is. Um, I think that, I mean, that's invaluable. Um, so that's, so anyways, those are, those are the things that, um, come mm -hmm. to mind. Um, uh, and I, I think you have to know that you need to also be secure in, uh, the gifts that God has given you as well. Uh, because as, as Michelle had alluded mm -hmm. to earlier, people will test your orthodoxy or their, or in the line, the goalpost always moves, right? Because it's never really about your orthodoxy. It's, it's really about your anthropology. It's about your actual makeup. It's about your, your appearance. It's about, uh, the way you talk. It's about your directness. Oh, you know, you're not humble, you know, or, Oh, that's a little prideful, you know, because, you know, just because we have it's and it's a, it's, it's a lapse in just even cultural understanding. Mm -hmm. Um, or even, yeah. So anyway, I could keep going mm -hmm. on and on as you can mm -hmm. see, <laughs> but I'm not going to believe, I'm, I'm not going to believe the point. Uh, but anyways, see, did anything bubble up for you? Um, as I was, yeah, speaking? well, I was going to say for, so for major, just the last point, just that bubbled up as you were talking, mm -hmm. you know, for majority people, I think if they choose to go into a multi-ethnic setting, I think that they should withhold from giving themselves cookies or brownie points. Because they mm, they have demonstrated mm, mm. such like look at me yep. like I'm willing to let this 
Latino person read a scripture over me. I, you know, look at how enlightened I am. And so I think just like how a man might say, well, (laughs) I'm married to a woman, so I'm not sexist. No, that doesn't count. (laughs) Like just because you are at a church that has leadership that could be of a different race or ethnicity than you, we still have to examine our own racial and ethnic biases. We don't get a pass to say, well, I'm, you know, I tolerate this person preaching or teaching. Look at me and my, and my family members won't do that. They wouldn't go here. That, that, you know, (laughs) you don't get any cookies for that, y'all. That's sin. And I would and I would yeah. say likewise for people of color, I would encourage them to challenge themselves to make sure that part of their reason in being in um, white centered multi ethnic spaces isn't because they have an internalized racism as it relates to the theology mm-hmm. and the and the history right. of churches of color in their current cu- cultural context. Right. So you have some people who are like just ashamed of the black church, for example, African Americans who are ashamed. Yeah. Of the legacy, mm-hmm. the history, the theology, the vernacular, the music, the experience of the black church. And every culture has grace and every culture has sin if it's on this planet, right? If it's in part of the cosmos. <laughs> but but there are people who will, will pack up their stuff and leave because, you know, if it's not white, it's not right. And um, And I would encourage both people, majority folks and minority folks, to examine yourselves. Everybody still needs to be digging deep and saying, Lord, reveal to me my biases, reveal to me my prejudice, reveal to me my racism, and and make me new. Um, And just because Mm -hmm. you're in the space does not mean we have arrived. The multi-ethnic church is not the revelation image that we see, (laughs) right? It's... We're not, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're We're not not wearing the white Mm -hmm. robes yet. Right. But it's coming. Mm -hmm. It's coming. Mm -hmm. And by God's Mm -hmm. grace, it can be a bit of a a foretaste or a precursor or a little moment in time where we can reflect on what the Lord is about to bring to pass. Amen. Amen. Now that's a great, great um, way for us to uh, close uh, this episode because it just gets back to our question. Is it a foretaste of heaven or bulwarks of white supremacy? Fix it, Jesus. (laughs) And on this side of glory, both. Okay. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, it's facts, man. We have to be consistent theologically, people. Okay. Uh, But no, thank you so much for your thoughts, Christina and Michelle. I appreciate it. I'm sure our listeners do too. Um, So yeah, so we want to, of course, thank our listeners for taking a seat at the table with us this week. Let's keep the conversation going. Please tweet us your thoughts on uh, multi-ethnic churches, your own experiences with it, how you came um, into, uh, that space and yeah. And just, yeah, kick around the question and we'd love to see what your answers are, um, to the question, which is multi-ethnic churches. Is it a foretaste of heaven or bulwarks of white supremacy? Um, use our hashtag truths table and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at truths table, or you can email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on the Satchel podcast player. Truths Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York, and we have been your hosts, Akemini, Michelle, and Christina. We will see you soon on the next Truths Table. Bye, y'all.